Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Chris Harrison, the uh, host of the television show uh, The Bachelor for like ever now, has been pressured to step away from his duties for an undetermined time. The pressure came out of the network's fear of backlash from viewers who were offended by remarks he made during an interview with another contestant. Uh, I had never even heard the phrase he used before that was supposed to be so offensive, and so I won't repeat it, but his apology was clearly not accepted, or what is considered acceptable these days. During the, this past year, one term that's been getting a lot of play in the news uh, is cancel culture. Some people deserve pushback when things are said that are intended to do harm or offend. But in these times, we've seen people and uh, even businesses unwittingly become the subject of forces intent not on correcting them or educating them, but on destroying them. Cracker Barrel restaurants came under fire last summer for their old country store theme and were even singled out for their, quote, plantation rocking chairs, unquote, on the front porch. Even their name comes across as racist to some. In response, the chain explained that back in the day, country stores were a gathering place for communities, and none of them were complete without the barrels that were used to ship soda crackers to keep them from breaking during transit. I don't know. You know, weigh that against the online poster who, who wrote, open the door to a cracker barrel and you get a whiff of Jim Crow and biscuits. I don't know what to say. You know, I guess I'm just clueless. I remember when HBO Max pulled Gone with the Wind last year from its streaming service due to its racist depictions in regards to slavery, and when it finally returned, the film had been tagged with a, uh, a racism warning. The film that that it resulted in the first black American, Hattie McDaniel, to ever win an Oscar. After 32 seasons, the long-running TV show Cops was canceled last summer by Paramount uh, after accusations that it glorified police. New episodes resumed filming last October, but with no plans to air them in the United States. Now, I hope we haven't moved on so far that we've forgotten important issues like cyberbullying, for example, because a lot of people have started to think that this so-called cancel culture has kind of gone off the rails. I'm not making any judgments about it. I, I don't even pretend to understand it all, and maybe some good will come from it eventually, but it seems like a brutal, uh, destructive, unforgiving way to make a point. Uh, just an observation. Anyways, I was reading through the lessons for today. It occurred to me that if God hadn't been in charge, but rather a God-fearing earthly editor, I had a story this morning about the Lord ordering a faithful servant, one of his favorites, to sacrifice his only son as a burnt offering, have even made it into the Bible. Might it have been considered too offensive to those believers who want him to come across as a, a loving caring God, the God he actually is, without any distractions from that image? Or would that story have been canceled for fear it might drive someone away from God or offend them? When you hear the story of Abraham's test of faith and understand just what was going on and what it parallels, it's really one of the most important stories of faith and insights to the heart of God in the whole Bible. So I thought we could take a look this morning. 
First of all, what kind of God would put his own man through such a, a torturous trial just to test his faith? What kind of God allows tests and trials and tragedies and even temptations into the lives of those that he professes to love? You know, what kind of God pushes his own people to such extremes who seems to ask so much from us sometimes or demands so much? Who comes along out of the blue and certainly in Abraham's case anyway, insists we supersize our faith when all along we, we both seem to have been content with having just enough to get by. The bottom line, how could a loving God ask a father to sacrifice his only son? Isaac was the son of God's promise to Abraham that the entire world would be blessed through him, a promise that would ultimately be fulfilled by the birth of Jesus 2,000 years later. Isaac was the hope of mankind's salvation. He was our hope of a happily ever after ending because through his lineage would come the Christ. Born of God's promise to Abraham when he was about 100 years old and his wife Sarah maybe in her 90s, he was truly a miracle child. In today's lesson, this son is already 20-something and his mother and father are thinking about finding him a wife. And then here comes God into this happy story and tells Dad to offer him up as a human sacrifice on a fiery altar. The same God who had promised the world salvation through him is unbelievable as, as that seems. It's a that's a pretty big leap that a lot of people aren't willing to make. In the divine drama that's unfolded up to this point, God is presented as the, the, the man with a plan. He comes to this childless son of an idol maker with a new calling and a mission for Abraham to pull up stakes and head out into a brand new land. Now God has been the tender caregiver, keeper of his promises, and it all fits our picture of him as a loving God who has mankind's bigger picture and ours in mind, uh, an eternal picture. By experience, we're used to thinking of God in terms of our refuge, our rock, our strength mighty fortress, the God from whom all blessings flow, whether we deserve them or not, who loves us so much he's willing to forget and forgive and even forget our sins. You know, all good and, and able and, and right to the core. And then we listen to our lesson this morning, and while we might be a little uncomfortable, you know, asking the question out loud, you know, I wonder if we just can't help but ask ourselves, what's up with this? Has God gone off the rails? What kind of God tests people to such extremes? Who seems to ask too much of us sometimes? Uh, I mean, we're only human after all, right? It's a temptation just to say, not my God, and walk away. But we know there has to be more. Our hearts know better. From all the other Bible stories, we know better. And so it deserves a closer look. First of all, it's true that our God is a God who isn't above testing us. Verse 1 of our lesson. After these things, God tested Abraham. Well, why is the first question that comes to mind. What kind of God would test faithful Abraham of all people? He was God's first round draft pick. What does it tell us? I'm hearing that if God tested Abraham, he might test us too. Not so much by sending bad things into our lives, but certainly by allowing them to pass through his omniscient, his all-knowing will. 
But God doesn't test us to see what's in our heart or to find out what's really on our mind. You, you hear that sometimes from well-meaning people, but to get it right, you sort of have to turn it around. God already knows everything that's on, in our hearts and on our minds. It's, it's in the test God sometimes allows to, to come our way that we learn to know him better and understand what's on his mind by being reminded of his ability to, to care for us and deliver us from evil. So again, what kind of God would test us? Well, the kind of God who loves us so much he wants us to know that whatever comes our way, we can trust him to get us safely to the other side. And there is another side. Who wants, to, wants us to let go of all the things that we tend to make idols out of or gods of out of in our lives because they're certainly not going to be around to help us when we really need it. One of the problems we have with this story is that we read it backwards. We know how it's going to end, and we forget that Abraham doesn't. And, and that tends to disconnect us from the, the horror that he must have been going through. But there's an interesting thing. When they get near the place where the sacrifice is supposed to be offered, he tells his servants to wait for them. He says, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then come back to you. We'll go and we'll come back. You know, maybe he just wanted to get out of sight, out of the servant's sight. We don't know, but it's certainly clear that he planned on both of them returning. Abraham trusted God to somehow keep his promise about making him into a great nation through this same son. Even, we're told in Hebrews later on in the New Testament, if that meant he'd have to raise Isaac from the dead to do it. Now, no one had ever been raised from the dead before. It would happen a couple times later through the prophets, and of course Jesus would do it a couple thousand years later. But up to now, this was new stuff. Real out-of-the-box faith thinking for Abraham. But here's what it all boils down to. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. That's a big help, a big hope for us when we're hip deep in life. It's a reminder that we live in real time and in real life in a real world that's really fallen into the darkness of sin, and that means stuff's going to happen. It also means that, that when the bad stuff touches our life, the sad stuff, we're probably not going to be as noble about it as Abraham was. But God wants us to be. He assures us that we can be through stories just like this. Our first reaction when trials and tragedies touch us is to, to throw up our hands and cry out, Why, God? You know, when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, the son he loved, and offer him up as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah, did you hear how Abraham reacted? He got up early the next morning, saddled his donkey, grabbed a couple servants and, and, and his son, and headed out to do what God asked. There was no further discussion. You know, the last time life had you overwhelmed and stressed out and at the end of your rope and you called out why, what did he say? Yeah, you're probably still waiting, waiting to hear back. You know, God rarely explains himself to us. He's a kind of a mystery in that, in that sense. He, so he doesn't often explain the trials uh, uh, we experience, nor does he ever really promise to. Now, we expect God to just him, justify himself to, 
to us for allowing bad things to happen in our lives, but that's our expectation. Here's what he actually promises. It's in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good according to his purpose for them. Do you hear anything there about protecting us from the assaults of Satan or just life in general? No. He never once promises to give anyone a pass on problems. Not, not in this world. Not even those who are his. So the question isn't whether or not we'll experience trials in our lives. The question is, is better asked, God, how are you going to bring any good out of this? And the ultimate answer is in, is in the next verse from Romans. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. You know, God tends to, to work with the big picture in mind. He brings us to faith through the waters of baptism. He nurtures that faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's badly needed help for this life. But it's also uh, so that ultimately we can look forward to being like Jesus. Uh, sinless like Jesus, with uh, pain-free, glorified bodies like Jesus. And so we could be with Jesus and, and those we loved who are already waiting for us in heaven and be with them forever. Just as Abraham was about to make the ultimate cut to his son, an angel appeared holding him back. At that same moment, he heard a ram nearby whose horns were, were caught in a thicket, a ram provided by God who became Isaac's substitute on that altar. No matter how troubled our lives might be, in Christ, God promises us a happily ever after ending. And God always keeps his promise. If we remain in him, he'll walk through us, with us, through, through all the troubles of this life, all the way to heaven, to a place already prepared for us there, with a mint on the pillow. <laughs> I don't know about the mint part. Uh, now, you know there's going to be a mint on my pillow, because when I get there, I'll probably be in some spirit form for a while, and, and I won't be able to eat it anyway. But you wait and see. Now, there's nothing better than a, than a, than a happy ending. But they're sometimes hard to see through the fog of all the, uh, the, the, the doom and gloom we, we experience and suffer through this in this life. So God also says this from Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Now, God may not put us in a bubble to protect us from tragedies and trials, but he doesn't let us go through them alone either. He's a God who works in the big picture, the transcendent God, but he's also a God who doesn't abandon us to our troubles uh, in the sense that he's an imminent God, that he's with us through all the details of life. That's another promise. When we see an Abraham story and in a very personal, sometimes parallel story that would play out 2,000 years later, when God sent his son into the filth and muck of this world to be our savior. When God's hand was raised against the sin of the whole world that had been laid on sinless Jesus at Calvary, there was no ram to take his place. No promise of a substitute when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane that if there be any other way to accomplish our salvation as he shed drops of blood. What must that have been like for, for the father to hear his only begotten son's prayer and know that he could do nothing if the greater good was to be accomplished? 
Now we feel for Abraham, but can we feel for God the Father? What kind of love for us must he have? You know, how deep? Now Jesus prayed, you know, nevertheless, your will be done. He knew that was why he'd come. But for the Father's judgment to fall on his own son must have been difficult in ways we can't even imagine. Jesus was going to die for our sins, not his. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life for us and then became sin for us so that we might live. Jesus died there on Calvary for you and for me. Abraham offered his son. Our Father in heaven offered his. Isaac unwittingly carried the wood for his own sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross, knowing that there was not going to be any last-minute reprieves. Isaac was laid on the altar. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death because it was the Father's will. God the Father willed that his own son should die for us. The ram was offered in, in place of Isaac. Christ was offered in place of sinners. Abraham received his own son back from the dead in a figurative sense. Jesus died, literally died, but was raised from the dead Easter morning. Our sign and promise that his sacrifice was enough to cover the sins of the whole world. A happy ending to a very, very great trial. What kind of God allows tests and tragedies and temptations into the lives of those he loves? Not one who's gone off the rails. One who single-mindedly wants us to be assured that he's able to make all things new and promise that good would come for e from evil by dying for us. Who promised that by faith a truly happy ending is waiting for us all. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.